welcome. My name is Chris Miller, and I'm a pre-retirement and living trust and estate planning expert who's given pre-retirement workshops and keynotes for over 20 years. My message is simple, yet vital, to encourage people to prepare for retirement early to get their arrangements, both financial and spiritual, in place long before they may ever need them. I've had the opportunity to interview some of the greatest thinkers of our time in the field of personal development, positive growth, and natural healing. And because these people have made such a great impact on so many lives, the Pre-Retirement Masters Show Teleseminar Intensive Series is a chance for others to be able to hear from these experts and these visionaries in an intimate and direct way so that people can create an enormous amount of change and growth in their own lives. Thanks for joining us and enjoy. With the gold ticket to a better destiny And I told my heart there'll never come a day Hi everybody, this is Chris Miller, host of the Pre-Tirement Masters Teleseminar Intensive. And our show right now is called, Are You Ready for Pre-Tirement? What do you think when somebody says retirement? You probably think of old people. The truth is, retirement has nothing to do with being old and everything to do with being solvent and independent. Preparing for that starts right now. I call that pre-retirement. Plan retirement early so your money, health, and peace of mind is there when you need it. Life can happen and you can end up unable to live independently at any time. Are your assets protected? Are you covered? And did you know you don't have to risk your money to make money? So what good does a million dollars do if you don't have joy in your heart? So preparing for retirement early means thinking about the future today, making choices that will give you greater happiness, peace of mind in the years to come. And that's what I call an optimum state of mind. I'm sure you'll agree, times have changed and people are having a hard time coping and wondering if they're going to make right long-term decisions for their job, health, and relationships. To make these kind of choices, that will lead to this state of mind. I believe you need great information and the best teachers. Throughout my life and career, I've sought out people I regarded as wise thinkers and experts in many fields, everything from personal development, finances, legal issues, spirituality, health, and natural healing, and this is how I can help you. I've assembled a panel of top experts in the human potential movement to help you prosper during these difficult times. So if you could ask these experts just one question, what would it be? Okay, here's your chance to get your questions asked, answered directly by the experts, and I'm truly honored to be able to share my conversations with some of these experts with you today in the Pre-Tirement Masters show. Today, I'm quite honored to have Joan Rosenberg. Hi, Joan. How are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, great. I'm so glad you're here. You have so many neat things to share with everybody. You have quite a resume, but basically, just to let people know, you're a a California licensed psychologist and an award-winning national public speaker. You co-host 
Women's Inspiration, a weekly radio show in L.A. on KCSN 88.5 FM. And you're dedicated to promoting a culture of positivity, health, and transformation. Maybe you could just help all our listeners tell everybody how you got where you're at today. Maybe a little bit about your beginning journey. Uh, wow, beginning journey. Okay. <laughs> How did you get to where you are now? <laughs> well, I, I did uh, all of my college and graduate work at the University of Missouri, Columbia, and as part of my training, I entered uh, the Air Force to complete my doctoral degree, and so I spent uh, three years active duty as a an active duty as a psychologist in the Air Force, and then another. Uh, seven years in the reserves for the Air Force as a psychologist. So I, I didn't see the world, but I uh, saw people's minds, and um, and with which was actually a great opportunity. Came out to California, and then I worked at uh, at UCLA in their student psychological services, and taught at University of Southern California. Currently teaching at Pepperdine. And I also, uh, it, there's lots of things on there. I used to have a radio show for five years myself, and also I um, uh, have a private psychotherapy practice. So, um, and writing. So, lots and lots of things are happening. That's great. Well, you've seen a lot of people and looked into a lot of minds. And just off the top, what do you think? You know, some of the challenges that people are facing today when they think about pre-retirement and retirement. Well, you know, it's there's so many things that, that uh, people face, and and it may differ certainly in terms of the age at which people are either uh, retiring or thinking about retiring. But some of the key challenges have to do with our own bodies aging, uh, perhaps aging parents, or the flip side, having responsibilities for children or grandchildren. Um, so that, you know, lots of the people always talk about this as kind of the stress of uh, the sandwich generation, uh, having, you know, responsibilities for someone older as well as having responsibilities for people that are younger. Um, people also might uh, face changes in health status or they could uh, change, face changes in certainly your predominant focus, which is uh, financial status. Um, or even being alone, losing friends, uh, all those kinds of things. So uh, kind of the underbelly of all of this is facing feelings of grief. Right. That's definitely a challenge. Right. So, you know, you suggest that there's several keys to well-being as you age, and one of these has to do with maintaining a healthy perspective. What do you mean by that? Uh, you know, the, the thanks for asking. That's a that's a great question. Um, one of the first things I really like to talk with people about are their views about change. And most of us get caught in wanting to have a, a real sense of routine, and um, certainly all of us value a sense of stability. Um, but part of what happens when people do that is that they don't then don't face change well. Uh, and certainly, you know, we can uh, we can be beset by all sorts of things that upset our balance, like, a, a, you know, the loss of a loved one, 
um, a, a natural disaster coming into play or some other kind of big uh, health concern coming up that starts to drain income. And, and as a result, um, the, the people's difficulty with handling what's happening in their life is harder because they don't, they don't view change in a comfortable and easy way. So uh, one of the things that I always encourage people to think about is, uh, is what their attitude towards change is. Um, are they open to change? Uh, and, uh, and can they, if they will, you know, the, the way I like to think about it is this idea of having an openness to change and understanding really that change is the constant and, and instead then accepting the, all the periods that we have that are stable and um, feel comfortable for us, for us and aren't rocking our boat, we accept those periods with grace and gratitude. Um, so that's, that's one uh, key perspective that I think makes a difference in people's life and, and uh, in terms of how they approach living well into advanced age. Uh, and I, you know, uh, Tony Robbins is a well-known uh, personal kind of growth or self-development expert, and uh, he likes to say that the quality of your life is in direct proportion to your ability to tolerate uncertainty. So this kind of goes along with what I'm talking about with people being open to change. Right. Uh, I, I can keep going if you – there's because there's, there's, I, I think there's – Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, part of – you know, I know and even in my own experience and with with losing a loved one, I don't even like to say losing. It's just they're sure. there, but they're not in the form that they've been in. And, right, yep. Um, we're not trained to handle that. And we don't – it's just – or illness or death, it's just all of a sudden it's just out of the blue and it just goes right into, you know, catastrophic shock. Right, right. And nobody's so ever taught us how to handle those things. That's true, that's true. Well, one of the, certainly one of the things that people have to do is to be able to, to if you will, to tolerate their own unpleasant feelings well. Um and the uh, second element of that that would be super important is to reach out to others. Uh, a third that would be equally as important is to to talk openly about what's going on, to not to not uh, kind of isolate yourself, to not shroud yourself in in uh, quiet and and uh, just be you know withdrawn from people, but to reach out, to connect, and to talk about what's going on, and that, again, has to do with um, a willingness, uh, which might get us back to that perspective question, uh, a willingness to face one's own unpleasant feelings. It's kind of a theme for me, if you will, um, but the, the striking thing about that is the more you can handle your own unpleasant feelings, the stronger and the better able you are to handle everything that happens in life. Right. So how how do you handle the, the emotional challenges? What you know? How do you do that? Well, um, the, I think the first thing that I would be inclined to ask somebody is is whether they try to shut out their feelings and try if, do what I call trying not to know what they know, uh, so that they do things to disconnect or distract themselves from from unpleasant feelings. Things like um, drinking or eating or 
um, just trying to shut down and ignore what's taking place, or whether they're they accept what's going, they're aware of what's going on in their lives, that they accept what's taking place, and they allow themselves to kind of experience it. The second one being the path of health. The first one being a path that is not nearly as healthy, and and so the first thing that I talk to people about in terms of being how do, how you do that is to be able to um, do what I call knowing what you know, um, and that helps them to accept kind of the truth of what's going on in their lives. A second thing that people can do to handle emotional challenges well is to um, when they're when they're dealing with other people. To maintain a kind of a, an emotional attitude or an emotional stance of being positive, kind, and well-intentioned. Because then people want to be in your lives and want to help you out. Then you have people to turn to. Um, and so that those are, those are two really, uh, key things. And, and a, a third thing that, that people can do is to, um, is to try to go through their life experiences without judgment. Uh, and that that may be difficult for some, but, but the more that people can kind of just be, again, be present with what's happening in their lives and to do it without being critical or judging, that makes uh, a big difference in, in how people can handle uh, emotional challenges well. I know that judgment is a huge one because... You know, sometimes you can just judge yourself, for example, for like over, it seems like almost like over grieving because it seems like it's a hard thing to get over even with huge faith or, or any of those things. It's still a, a weight you gotta lift up all the time. That's, that's true. You know, that uh, if you're talking about grief uh, specifically, Chris, I think it's, it would be really helpful for people to know that, that grief comes in, in waves and, and sometimes they're pretty intense waves. Uh, so that, so that it's, it's just understanding that it's almost like, you know, it's almost as if people were at the ocean and that they could visually see the ocean waves come to the shore. It's almost like that same kind of experience within ourselves. Right. And, and it's just understanding, it's almost like a, a feeling is trying to work its way kind of through the body. Mm-hmm. So, so that it, it means just kind of allowing that wave to, to come up and to pass. It might involve lots of different periods of crying, but if people allow themselves to think about what's going on when they feel it, feel the grief, and allow themselves also to feel uh, the pain, the the sadness or the disappointment that's associated with whatever the grief is, uh, and again allow that wave to move through you. Then people, then that, then typically what ends up happening over time, and again, it, it is an over time experience, is that is that that uh, the intensity of that wave starts to diminish, so that we're left with over time we're left with. Uh, hopefully tinges of the sadness as opposed to the the super hard intensity of the sadness. Right. And they learn how to convert those feelings into something positive. Um, right. Right. And 
and the, so, but the judgment, that is a huge one and everybody does it and even in the day to day of, you know, comparing yourself with others or how did, how do people get out of that? You know what, I, that's a really interesting question because I, I have a whole different attitude about, uh, criticism and judgment of the self. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I think that it's good for us to be able to look at ourselves and to assess, um, you know, whether we put, uh, you know, 100% effort in or a good uh, 80 to 90% effort into something so we did something as well as we could or we were, you know, generally kind to other people or um, or that if we were embarrassed about something that happened that we just kind of be embarrassed and then let it go or that if we were uh, pursuing an activity that or some something that we a project that we wanted to achieve uh, then uh, that we go after that and just as realistically assess uh, our efforts and you know what we did and and if it didn't work out then just kind of again feel the sadness or the disappointment or the frustration about something not happening and then to let it go uh, that would be a great thing if people could just do that. But what I watch people do more often than not is to um, is to become self really harshly self critical. <clears throat> it's to it's to you know uh, they start to call themselves stupid or like I'm such an idiot and then they just they get lost in in that or they um, get lost in the comparison about how dumb they are in re- in relation to someone else and and what I actually the way I actually see all that harsh self-criticism or all that negative self-talk is that it's really a distractor from unpleasant feeling. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, I have this whole kind of what I call this emotional Pilates approach, and and the, the what I really try to get people to do when they start getting lost in that harsh self-criticism is instead to to kind of walk it backwards and redirect themselves back to the emotional feeling. And typically it's an unpleasant feeling. But walk themselves back to that unpleasant feeling um, that they were experiencing before they started to criticize themselves and instead be in touch with the feeling as opposed to the criticism. Right. Does that does that make sense? Oh, that does make sense because it is. It's like a it's like a side sidetrack. You just sort of oh, you just put yourself down so you can just sort of fluff off dealing with the feeling that where it's really coming from. Exactly. In fact, I like. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean I agree. It's like a sidetrack. Right. Like look over here. Why I do this over there. Right, exactly, exactly. It's a way to get away from the unpleasantness of, of whatever was being felt. And and I also think of it as, as a person's attempt to be in control of something that they weren't in that they aren't really in control of. So I can be in control of, of what I think and how I think it. So I can be in control of how how often I tell myself how dumb I was or how stupid that, that action was. Um but I'm actually not in control of what I feel or that I feel. So I'm not in control that, uh, of the fact that I feel disappointed or I feel sad, um, but I am in control of me saying to myself, boy, I'm so stupid. Right. And and so it's it, uh, using getting away from that 
that negative self-talk and that harsh self-criticism means coming back to the unpleasant feeling rather than staying focused on the unpleasant thoughts. Right. And then there's a sense of responsibility because if you cop to it, then you have to learn the lesson and change. And that's sort of like a spiritual laziness. I've seen a lot of people, if I don't, you know, if I deny this thing is really going on, then I don't have to pay attention and maybe make a change or or look at it positive instead of, you know, it's just something bad. Again? Right. Right, right. No, you're, that brings up, that's a whole other level of, of the conversation. Yeah, there's, there's lots of spiritual lessons to be learned in, in, um, even the most simple of, of life experiences. So I, I agree with you. You know, for those of you that just joined in, we're talking to Joan, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, and she's sharing some really great tips on how to have a perfect state of mind in pre-retirement. And we're talking about, you know, what good is a million dollars going to do if you don't have joy in your heart? And uh, Joan's got some uh, great, a great gift she's going to give the listeners today for listening. It's an article, a New Wealth Series article, how to change. Maybe you can uh, describe what this article is to everybody and tell them how to get it. Um, it they, it's, uh, it's actually on uh, emotionalpilates.com website, and there's, uh, it actually shows in two places. Uh, it's called How We Change, uh, and again, I started off the conversation today with with uh, how important having a, pers- a good perspective about change is to help us deal well with uh, retirement and retirement. And uh, so it's a it's an uh, a, it's in PDF form, but it allows people to um, to have an understanding of uh, how we change and how you can make change, how you can face change uh, much more easily in your life. Uh, that's that's one option for people, and if people are interested in uh, a deeper discussion of the kinds of things we're talking about today, then uh, there's also something called the New Wealth Series that they can uh, also get on the same EmotionalPlotties.com website, but it would be EmotionalPlotties.com backslash product. Uh, so the it's, you want to spell, uh, spell Pilates for everybody? Uh, it's, uh, it's P-I-L-A-T-E-S. Okay. Make sure they go to the right place. Yep. Yeah. Great. Thank you. All right. Handling the basics make a difference, too. So what are some of these areas, again, that you're talking about? Um, I certainly emphasize brain health. You know, and, you know, Alzheimer's and other related kinds of uh, problems are certainly a concern as people age. And uh, and we want to have a, a great time when we're in our uh, retirement or even in our pre-retirement years. Um, so that that one of the things I, I get is, is this whole notion of brain health. So I'm talking about keeping drinking and drugs to a minimum. Uh, that includes anything that's uh, people being very conscientious about prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Um, and it, it also might involve if people are involved in activities that are high risk that they actually try to protect their brain from uh, any kind of big bumps and, bumps and bruises it might get uh, because uh, that kind of thing does make a difference in terms of how we function. And if people had uh, lots of bumps and bruises to their head early in life, car accidents or sports or those kinds of things, I would actually encourage people to get that checked out so that 
if they age, that they that they keep on doing things that will help support good brain function. So that's one of the absolute basics. A second thing certainly has to do with uh, getting adequate sleep. Um, you know, it's uh, sleeps. Uh, we didn't used to know a lot about sleep, but we're learning so much more, and and uh, it really is crucial for rejuvenation. Uh, lots of times, what sleep allows us to do is to um, to what do what they call consolidate learning. It helps us uh, learn and remember things better. Uh, it also has a big impact on uh, what they're finding is things like diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. So the more people can sleep well and uh, sleep at decent hours, then the healthier they are uh, both in physical body as well as uh, mentally. Um, a third a third basic has to do with eating well. So, you know, we lots of people will suggest a, a plant-based diet, um, and others that uh, find are reluctant to to do that sort of thing. So whether it be vegetarian or vegan, um, certainly then eating the kind of uh, very lean meats and and those kinds of things. I'm not a nutritionist, so I can't be it can't be considered uh, nutritional advice. But certainly, there's a, a lot of information out there about um, the kind of the, the top things people can do to, to eat well. Uh, another <clears throat> uh, basic is certainly exercise, and I, I think about this, and, and again, there's lots of information, but, but the basics do make a difference. Uh, so just get it moving, period. A second uh, would involve kind of weight-bearing exercise. And a third that people talk less about are things that actually improve coordination. So um, people dancing um, or people um, bowling or, or people juggling, things that involve coordination with eye-hand movement and, and that sort of thing does make a difference as well. And the third, the last one on that list is uh, new learning, that putting yourself in the position of learning new things makes a huge difference in terms of uh, of people, again, enjoying aging and, um, and having full capacity to age well. Right. Great. Those are great. Boy, I'd like to have a segment on each one of those topics. <laughs> you know, just get, being able to get enough sleep, that's such a challenge in the way everything is now. It, that's true. That's true. But uh, it, it's uh, people are recommending um, probably a minimum of seven if people can target that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even re- probably would prefer closer to eight, which probably most of us aren't anywhere near. Uh, but uh, people do need to understand how crucial it is to uh, to have a good sleep in their life. And again, if there's concerns around things like uh, sleep apnea or, or those kind of things, it's also get those checked out early, really early, as opposed to waiting. Right. And you know, I'm you know I've been a vegan or vegetarian since I was 17, and I'm not a nutritionist, but but I. But in my state of mind and the way that I look at things, I really, I mean, it has really saved me a lot of medical bills in one sense because I'm uh, really in great shape and the challenges that I've had, I've able, been able to roll over them with alternative medicine and things that really get the brain tuned up. And people really don't see the tie to, with what they're eating and their health in the future so how important it is when you're younger to take, start taking care of yourself now and just 
you know, not party yourself to the ground because you'll pay for it later. For sure. Oh, that's absolutely, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And, and for people who find those changes difficult, uh, you know, for those who may be listening to, today, um, you know, my encouragement, it, there's two, two ways to approach it, I think, here. One is to start very small. You don't, if it's, if making those changes in one's diet are difficult, you start small and, uh, and you add a little bit at a time. And the second is to understand that all those kinds of things come down to a simple daily choice. And, and so that I can either choose to eat, um, this hamburger and french fries and carbonated soda, or I can choose um, to eat a salad and drink water. Um, it's, it's the simplest of choices. Um, and, uh, but, but you're absolutely right. Those, those choices have long-term consequences. Right. So social support is always mentioned as another element tied to well-being. And why is that and what should one do about it? Um, <clears throat> You know, um, I, I, I have to relate a story here, um, and 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 then explain why. Um, I I lost my dad several years ago, and um, I, I'm uh, quite fortunate in that my mom is still with us as we speak, and uh, she uh, I just think she epitomizes uh, great well-being in terms of age, and um, she's. Uh, She's not too, she's, uh, I'm uh, reluctant to tell her age, but I, sh- I should tell her. She's actually, in a month, she'll be 90. That's great. And, uh, and uh, she, after she lost my dad, one of the things she did was stay well-connected to her friends. Um, and, and uh, in fact, I, I have a recent picture of her playing cards with um, four or five other of her peers. Um uh, one or two of which she's known since high school. And so imagine a 65 or 75-year relationship. That's beautiful. And and um, and all of them are older than she is. And and I really think that um, that the for me it just epitomizes aging well because they get together frequently. Um, and I think, and all of them are widowed, um, but I think that the social, the, the amount that they stay in contact with each other and the fact that they're engaged, and in this case it's card playing, so they're actually engaged in something that keeps the mind active, is just, for me, just represents a, a really wonderful example of um, social support. So, you know, what we know about having good friends um and and being in a positive social environment is that it, it totally enhances well-being. It enhances our immune system. It, there's countless research studies that that uh, suggest that uh, that social good social connections or uh, social support um, makes a huge difference in, in how your immune excuse me your immune system functions. And it really it really strengthens the body and helps the body ward off um, disease processes. Uh, so that that's the good news on the body front. The the great news on the mental health front is that you feel better. Um, you want to stay more engaged in life. You like yourself better. You 
you connect well with others. It's just life is just that much more enjoyable. So, um, so having good friends and a positive environment from just a, a, a mental, mental and physical health well-being is, uh, is phenomenal. Um, that in terms of what people can do, it's, it's starting to, even no matter what age, it's to think about the people in your life that you can rely on. And uh, it's, I think it's, it's not important to have, you know, 15 or 20 of those people, but if you do great, one or two is, is uh, if you have one or two in your life like that, that's phenomenal. Uh, people uh, would be well served if they learned how to ask for help. Uh, a lot of us get afraid of being vulnerable, and, and most people tend to interpret um, asking for help as a, as a burden when, in fact, I actually see it as a compliment. So, uh, and I can get into that more if you wish, but uh, I really think that people need to learn how to ask for help. People ought to also offer support. So that's something else that they can do uh, because when you offer support, it tends to come back to you. And, and if, they're, if, if a person is in a position of being a caregiver, then something that, that I, so where they're offering lots of support in this case, I really want to emphasize how important it is for that person to um, be taking breaks and do things that refresh or rejuvenate them so that they get out and they're with others than the person that they're taking care of. So there's, again, um, several different ways that uh, social support is crucial outside of well-being and, and also things that people can do. Right. You know, I feel like I'm kind of like the experiment until everybody goes through it, but, you know, um, my mom and my husband both blasted off five days within each other a couple years ago. So I've been in that process, and one of the things that he last told me in the last week, you know, knowing that I was going to have a hard time, was that my key was when I start to think about others and helping others, it, that was going to be my key. And sure enough, whenever I go on the down, downward binge and, um, you know, and look up more on the death side instead of the everlasting life side and feel sad, all of a sudden I, you know, clicking into thinking about others and giving to others, and it just snaps you right out of it. It, it really right. is amazing. Right. Right. So, and, you, know, you know, a lot of people... Uh, in that regard, Chris will suggest that uh, that people find volunteer acti- activities. That they that people will often suggest find something bigger than yourself right. um, to give to. Uh, so, it, it, and again, it doesn't. It can be just helping out a you know a friend that's close by, or doing something connected with uh, you know a congregation or, or or some group that you're affiliated with. Uh, but if that doesn't work, then then finding something even bigger, a bigger cause or uh, some bigger bigger you know issue to tackle, and when people then immerse themselves in that, that also does make a, a really big difference. Right. And for those of you that have just joined in to listening to us at Pre-Retirement Masters Series, we have Dr. Joan Rosenberg on the phone right now. What we're talking about is emotional issues on retirement and pre-retirement and states of mind. Um, my new book, Ready for Pre-Retirement, will be out in June. And basically that gives you steps to take on how to prepare for pre-retirement 
where your money should be, what kind of documents, living trust, powers of attorney, um, instructions on how to protect your assets from nursing homes, catastrophic illness forms. It's a, it's a manual to do, to be prepared. And, but that is the technical side. I really wanted to have, um, Joan on here to talk to people about the emotional side and, because that's really the challenge to get through at any age, all of these issues. Um, my website is Ready for Pre-Tirement. That's R-E-A-D-Y-F-O-R-P-R-E-T-I-R-E-M-E-N-T dot com. And I've got some great free articles on there, too. So, Joan, um, you have a really interesting take on people being able to say the things they need to say to others. Tell me about using one's voice. You know, I, I, Chris, I think that um, people who struggle with using their voice never fully get to experience, um, you know, I'm going to say this, that they never get to fully experience the fullness of who they are. Right. And, and that, um, and that they, um, that they never achieve the level of self-esteem, I think, that they could achieve. So I don't, I don't really don't care what age someone is, um, and and certainly as we talk about people who are in the focus on pre-retirement or retirement, um, I still think it's super crucial for people to learn how to speak their mind. And the kinds of things I I put in that would include things like asking for help. And and again, maybe maybe I should touch on this one more deeply. There I have several things here, so. Uh, if you'll bear with me, uh, one has to do with asking for help. And, and I talked earlier about people getting lost in this idea that um, that asking for help is a, a burden to someone, that they don't want to be a burden. And I, what I like to say to people is that it's really a compliment. So, I, Chris, for instance, if you stopped and thought about um, when people came to ask, when they, people came to you to ask for help, what it made you feel like, Right. Uh, my guess is it probably left you feeling like you were well respected, that they valued your opinion, that that it was kind of a they were honoring you in even doing the ask because it it was uh, it, their openness and their vulnerability was saying something about uh, their closeness to you and the friendship. Uh, would you say that's true? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So. So the the truth, and then it's really like a compliment if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, do you have 15 minutes? I can talk to you about this issue or, or whatever." Um, it's it's really a compliment. It compliments it compliments you by letting you know you're respected, valued, and and actually when the people talk about what's going on, you feel closer. Uh, you have a feel closer connection. So the thing that I want people to understand is that asking for help really is a compliment to someone else as opposed to a burden. So that's one way that people can use their voice. Uh, a second, and I've, I've said this a little bit earlier, is this whole notion of expressing unpleasant feelings, and we do have to learn how to do that with each other. So it might put us in a little bit of conflict, but the, the conflict actually tends to, again, bring people closer. A third that's super important, it has to do with expressing loving feelings. And uh, because people sometimes are really, uh, not only do they feel vulnerable about expressing unpleasant feelings, they also feel really vulnerable about expressing loving feelings. And um, 
And what I like to do is to suggest people kind of be up to date, what I call being up to date with people that they love, so that so that when you're with people and before you leave the connection from them, so if you're traveling or, you know, even if you're neighbors down the street, convey the feelings that you have before you before you separate for whatever period of time you separate because you never know what's exactly. likely to happen. So so I just I really emphasize this whole notion of being up, what I call being up to date with people that you love. Um and if a person's older um ask what they need. So let's say again I I was referencing my mother earlier in the call that it would be turning to her and and making sure we're kind of as as clean and clear as possible that um, that that if she needs something in particular that I should be asking, uh, and if there's kind of old hurts that seem appropriate to work out, it would be good to use your voice to work those things out too. So um, my my whole focus again is that uh, is that when we can in a in a soft caring well-intentioned way when we can tell the truth of what we think and what we feel it tends to lead to greater authenticity uh, greater genuineness within it within ourselves and it also helps us develop and create deeper and more authentic and more genuine relationships with others so that's a lot that has to do with voice but um but I think that that's also a super important element of aging well. You have good connections as you age. Right, and and no regrets because you got to say those wonderful things that you want to say before the people go. Yes. And have the, and have the bonds in place so when they're not there, you don't have any regrets like I do with my grandmother that I wish I would have said something before she left. Uh, those uh-huh. So that's so right. important. Right. Uh, and staying engaged is also important. So, so how do you interpret that? What do you mean by staying engaged? Well, again, I, some of that we've touched on a little bit earlier. Um, I, what I mean by that is um, that people, the people not be withdrawn, um, with be, uh, and not being kind of hiding out in their homes and and uh, and not socializing, not not staying engaged in activities. So. So it means it means staying engaged with people. It maintain maintain um, your it maintain acquaintances at the very least. Uh, even better, it would be that you are social with people that you feel close to, so that you're you're actually deepening connections with friends. So one would be staying engaged with with people at those levels, close and acquaintances. Um, another would be staying engaged with interests. So if there's, you know, whether it's crossword puzzles, bowling, movie watching, um, taking a hike or whatever, it doesn't matter to me um, that you stay engaged with the things that interest you because, again, that tends to help our minds and helps us age well. Um, It brings a a sense of satisfaction and joy to us. Um, I read recently where staying engaged with the tasks of everyday life helps stave off Alzheimer's. So, um, believe it or not, doing daily chores makes a difference. <laughs> Great. Who would have who would have thought that uh, that that doing the laundry or dusting <laughs> would make a 
difference in uh, in how my brain functions, but apparently it does. That right. when pe- when people stay engaged with tasks of everyday life, they actually tend to um, again it's the the whole notion of staying active, and uh, but it tends to apparently the statistics suggest that uh, people's there's better brain function when people do that. Um, I, another would be and along this the the people element too in terms of staying engaged is to find new people to meet. Um, because, again, it tends to perk up our interest. It gets our brain interested in something that's new or novel to us. Um, and and that's another one, um, which is that people stay engaged by finding new or what I call novel activities to engage in. So it might be doing something something that's new. It might be doing something that's spontaneous and wasn't planned. It might be developing a new skill. Or it might be having a new experience, going a new place, traveling to a new place, taking a new route to something that you tend to take the same route to. Um, so doing things that are new is a way of staying engaged. And uh, and finally, something that we were talking about earlier as well in terms of contribution is to find new ways to contribute to others. So I, I really like it when people get outside their uh, usual social group and that they connect to something bigger. So it's having both the familiar. So a way to think about this uh, in terms of, of aging well um, is um, having things that uh, people and things and activities that are both familiar to you and unfamiliar to you um, so that they're new or novel um, help make a big difference in aging well. Yeah, great. Good point. Well, you know, you've included... More spiritual and um, spiritual bond practices like reflection and prayer and forgiveness and gratitude. Let's hear some more about that. Um, you know, quieting the mind decreases stress. Right. It also helps decrease anxiety. And if people are engaged in in aspects like meditation or prayer, and they've been doing it over the long term, it, what uh, research has found is that it also um, seems to lead to people developing more empathy. So um, what I mean is, is it, you know, taking some quiet time, and if people can do it on a daily basis, great. Um, if they can do it on a weekly basis or an every few day basis, you know that, that's fine too. But I mean, daily is obviously the uh, the optimal. But but people where people give themselves an opportunity to um, engage in prayer or engage in reflection, uh, and when people do that, it tends to connect them to something greater than themselves. Uh, again, that it's it's uh, I'm not I'm not this small just you know, unitary, alone being that has no impact, that I can actually connect to something that feels much bigger. So so quieting mind in some way, being reflective, engaging in prayer uh, or meditation, whatever people might call it, all of those activities are super uh, important um, in terms of, again, having a healthy brain and, and aging well tends to promote brain health. Um, and then there's a couple other ones that that I think are also super important, and I, I tie them under kind of what I would call more spiritually oriented practices. Uh, one is to listen more to others, so it, so that 
it's not just our talking and venting that's important. It's also really important to listen. Um, and that's uh, one element and so that we can be attentive and good listeners and respond uh, to others. Uh, and two other super big ones are forgiveness and gratitude. Right. Uh, and, and I mention forgiveness because uh, when we don't forgive, we're locked. We're basically locked in the past. And that's not – and we're, not only are we locked in the past, we tend to be locked in toxicity. We tend to be locked into negativity, and that's not good for us. So um, so I don't want people to uh, to build a life around situations or events or experiences that happened in the past that are painful. Um, you know, like I said, it creates a greater negativity and toxicity in the body. So um, I really want people to um, think about forgiveness and to forgive the kinds of things that may have happened in the past that didn't work out so that they can live more in the present and look forward to the future. Um, yeah. And then and then I can stop there and say that I want to... Oh, to of course. Because <laughs> no, no, I, I I'm sure we could delve into each one of these. Um, the, the other one is gratitude. Um, and it's like, oh, my God, what a wonderful practice. Um, it, it's uplifting, and it, if there's anything that connects you with something greater... Uh, than yourself. Well, gratitude is it. Right. Uh, so, it, uh, and gratitude, I think, puts you in a place of uh, not only giving but in, in receiving. So it's uh, so it really key kind of elements um, that it's more like I said more spiritually uh, oriented practices that I that I think are super important to people's well being and health as well. Absolutely, those are great points. Maybe down the road we could. We could, you know, have a segment on each one of those because you could just go on just, you know, for a long time on each one of those, how important it is. I mean, just waking up, how you can change your whole day, just being thankful when you wake up and thankful that you have food and water and, you know, just start with the basics if you're, you know, if you can't think of anything. Right. You know what? I, I have this, uh, I, I, I know we've talked about me writing uh, the Emotional Pilates book and, and I have an exercise in the book that I call the Grata Five, wow. um, and and so it's it's taking either five minutes that you focus on being grateful, or taking uh, or focusing on five aspects of your life or five things you're grateful for. So it's that's uh, my Grata Five. So it's a really simple pra- again. You start small and uh, simple practice of of being grateful. That's great. And, you know, people, it sounds so simple, but if people don't do these things, and those little things can change your life. That changes the whole attitude. Wow. Well, it's it's amazing. If you had one thing that you want to share, you know, to sort of wrap up our time here, you know, sort of a cherry on top, what would that be? Oh, my goodness. Um, (laughs) You know what? I would probably, I would probably end with where we were just ending, and that is, um, if you two two things, if you can, uh, you know what? Three things. One is be truthful. The second is be forgiving. Be forgiving. And the third would be to be grateful. Right. So that I, if people. 
uh, engage in those practices in a conscious way in their lives, they're going to live a great life. Great. So um, your book, Emotional Pilates, does that give actual exercises that people could do or things that they can apply? Like, how do I do this? Uh, yep. Well, lots of lots and lots of different ways to think, uh, to change your perspective on, on how you approach life, and lots of different activities to help you get clear. Yep. And uh, forgiveness and gratitude are at the end of the book. Yep. Well, I really appreciate how you've included the spirit in with the technical part of being a psychologist because it is so technical and then a lot of the doctors have left out the spirit and you've got to have them both, you know, woven together. So I really appreciate the conversation on that. And it will really be helpful for people to get your book because I know a lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, well, how am I going to be gratitude, you know, grateful what are the, you know, just little simple steps to take, a little exercises can really, really help. I want to encourage everybody to go to your website. Why don't you go ahead and, and give that again to everybody and explain the uh, free article, the PDF that you have to share with everybody too. Okay. Uh, it's the uh, website is emotionalpilates.com. It's E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L-P-I-L-A-T-E-S.com. And that's that's the website, and uh, the uh, there's a, a PDF uh, describing how we change. So it's it's uh, lots of people struggle initially with facing changes in their lives, and it helps explain why changes unfo- change is uncomfortable and kind of how to approach it so that people can handle change in a much better way. Uh, and so it's uh, certainly tied to the focus of of your work, Chris. And then uh, a second element that's available to people is uh, at emotionalpilates.com slash backslash product where there's uh, an MP3 series about emotional Pilates and um, that's available. It's it's listed on the site as the New Wealth series. That's available as well. I want to encourage everybody to go by um, and check out the article you have to give away and and get that great book with some exercises on how to do all these wonderful things you're telling everybody and and um, for those of you that drop by my website is ready for pre-retirement that's r-e-a-d-y-f-o-r-p-r-e-t-i-r-e-m-e-n-t.com and you can stop by there and get some articles about pre-retirement planning and check out my book which will have forms and instructions on how you can protect your assets from long-term care, nursing home costs, and great recession, and check out our new uh, Living Trust estate planning software. So again, Joan, this has really, really been great and really appreciate having you on here again. Um, and we'll we'll look forward to doing some more and elaborate on in more detail on some of the things that you talked about. That sounds great, Chris. Thanks once again. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Found out you can't take a curve at 85. My whole life flashed before my eyes. I braced myself to leave this world behind. As a million questions. 
ways to cross my mind Did I live? Did I love? Did I matter to someone? Did I give everything I have to give? Did I save any soul? Was I worried about my own? Was I haunted by the things I never did? Did I embrace each day with faith, hope, and laughter? Did I matter? Did I matter? 